0: Our podcast, Deucemen. <laughs> Deucemen. Deucemen. Deucemen.
1: Deucemen.
0: Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bolesby.
2: Dear listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome, I am Melissa, and I'm here with Wendy, and we have a returning guest star this week. And next week, because this is going to be a two parter. Oh, God, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a two parter. We have with us Noel Thingball once again.
1: That's a lot of pressure I have to live up to now.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. Well, Well, your previous episodes have all been two parters. That's true.
1: That's true. This one should be pretty. I am not known for being short winded.
0: I am very happy, (laughs) listeners. uh, I don't know when you're going to hear this, but this is a week before the container arrives for us to start packing up to move to Austin. So having Noel on means that I can take an episode or two off. <laughs> I'll just be sitting here drinking wine to relax myself while I listen to Noel and Melissa hold forth on our topic do... Due... What is the word for week? Do... I uh, oh, do, whoa. Uh, whoa. I don't know. I'm going to have to look that shit up. I'll do look that up. weekend. <laughs> do... What, do... I know Friday is... Vondredi. Yeah, well, that's, that's all Vendredi. I can remember. Um, I'll look it up. Okay. But our topic of the night
2: <laughs> is Kurosawa.
1: Oh. oh no, wait. <laughs> oh. Kurosawa with a healthy dose of Mifune. Yes. Oh.
0: And no more oohs and ahs. For tonight's episode, we will all grunt.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh. No. Mifune and. Uh... <sighs>
1: A lot of Takashi Shimura. A
2: lot of Takashi Shimura. For whenever I say Mifune, I can never come up with Shimura's name right after it. Oh, I don't I, know
1: why. I've especially got a little Mifune Shimura nugget that I just watched last week and I look <laughs> forward to bringing up. <laughs>
2: Mifune Shimura. Yeah, Shimura has actually had done more movies with Kurosawa than Mifune. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. First, we should... Talk about what we're drinking. And it, we are drinking. We are drinking. Uh, we are drinking Avalon Cab 2012 Cabernet Sauvignon. It's from California. Mm. And it is red, it is
0: plummy. Yeah, actually,
2: yeah, I, I, like the,
0: uh, I like the graphic design of the bottle. Yeah, it's very nice and, oh, and yes. simple. With the letters and then the nice sort of graphic element above, that's nice. Yeah.
2: I, I, I like the minimalism of it, the the red and the white and a little bit of gold, and it's very classy. It's uh smooth. Yeah. Um, it's not as dry as many Cabernets are.
0: Yeah, it's, it, you're right, it's It's fruitier. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's got a very smooth mouthfeel. It... it uh, I will say it doesn't demand a lot of attention, which nope. is exactly what I want. <laughs> I just want a chum for the evening, and this wine is going to do it. I think. Yes. And Noel, what
2: are you drinking? You are the non-drinker here.
1: You're you're uh, our sober driver. Cherry pomegranate, super chill ice. Ooh, super chill. Mm. Mm. Very nice. Mm. With caffeine added.
2: <laughs> so we'll be slowing down and slowing down and you'll be like ready for everything it's a road we've traveled down before that's true that's true <laughs> that, mm,
0: yes yes we did <laughs> it's a lovely journey that was hours
1: an, long that was an interesting much longer night than we all expected
0: yeah that was a road trip Yeah. So So, how are we going to organize our thoughts on Mr. Kurosawa? Well, we can start at the start. And uh, are we going to start at the very beginning?
2: We are going to start at the beginning, at the beginning, the beginning of Kurosawa himself. Yes, I do believe because Noel actually brought notes.
1: Yes. Yes, I was so ashamed of when you guys had me on for Aldrich, where I'm like, I don't know. I'm unprepared. I actually, yeah, I spent like a week just putting together an entire biography. (laughs) Or at least three paragraphs. But (laughs) yeah, no, Kurosawa was born in 1910, uh, the son of a samurai. And I believe his mom was part of a merchant uh, Hmm. arm. So they were actually pretty wealthy and uh, pretty well off. And his father was a physical fitness instructor who was fascinated by Western culture, so he would always take his kids to go see the movies. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted them to learn about the world. And even as a child, Kurosawa developed a love of art and painting, which he would carry on till the end of his life. Which I don't know, have you guys ever seen any of Kurosawa's paintings? I have. They're mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, he's famous for like his last few films, especially. He would storyboard them in oil paintings. Yeah. Because he didn't
0: have anything better to do, uh,
1: that well, actually helped him sell the movies.
0: Yes, yeah, because
2: he near the end of his career, he was having trouble finding funding, like in the eighties. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, the, the, part, thanks to people like Francis Ford Coppola and uh, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg, and, Spiel, and Steven yeah. Spielberg and a certain whiskey company, um, <laughs> he was able to get funding for his later movies. But <laughs> like Ron is all storyboarded yeah. in.
1: World There's paintings. actually a great, uh, it, was, it was actually published a great book where it's the screenplay and all the paintings. Mm-hmm. So the question I have is,
0: why did storyboarding and oil paintings help him sell the movies? Was well, he selling the oil paintings for money to fund the yes. movies?
1: And, and, well, and if we wanted concept, to really get into it now, yeah. It's, it's
0: concept art.
1: It was, it yeah. was basically used as like, here's the movie you're paying for. Because he made those big spectacular epics. And it also, it was like five years between each movie. So he had to kill time.
2: And, also, and, also, he was going blind. Yes, and uh, he had
1: other people helping him direct.
2: Yeah, so by making those paintings ahead of time, as he was losing his sight, he was getting help frame the shots be, with these
1: paintings as templates.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a blind director. That'd be a, a challenge.
1: What? Mighty Joe Young was directed by a blind man? Did he
0: direct Mighty? Joy? No. No, no. Okay, okay. Oh, the connection was a blind man. Yes, was trained by a blind man. (laughs) I'm not sure that you've made a case for blind men. No.
1: (laughs) Okay, just check it in there. All right, continue. I'll be here with my wine. So he was trained as a painter. So yes, and uh, in in 1923, at age 13, that was when the Great Kanto Earthquake happened. and It was this massive, devastating quake, and this was kind of like one of the key points in his life, where him and his brother Heigo went out to inspect all the rubble Tons of corpses, tons of collapsed homes. And that's when his brother told him, never look away from things that scare you. Always look straight, th- look at them head on, and then they won't scare you. And so Kurosawa tried to implement that throughout his career.
0: I also look at things that scare me so they can't sneak up on me. Yes. <laughs> it's helpful. Yeah, oh.
1: And then Heigo was kind of like an intra- a very important figure to him. Because uh, in his 20s, Kurosawa was actually struggling to make a living as a painter. Mostly doing propaganda work for the left-wing uh, party that was opposing the rising militant movement in Japan. And Heigo was a narrator for silent films who would stand in theaters and narrate. And so Kurosawa got to go see every movie he wanted for free. Wait,
0: wait, wait, wait a minute. What? Why would a silent film need a narrator? Did it not have the title cards? Yeah, but they wouldn't be translated. <gasps> oh, okay. So his brother would could read the English right. and translate mm-hmm. it. Right. Okay, so he was a translator for silent films, which still sounds ridiculous when you <laughs> yes. say it. Okay. Yes.
1: And as soon as the advent of sound came, Heigo lost his job and committed suicide.
0: Oh, why did he do th- he oh, why did he do that? But I mean he probably had yeah. problems already, I assume. Yeah. You don't just lose yeah. your job and commit yeah. well,
2: suicide. Well also Japan. Yes.
1: Oh. we'll be getting to how his own attempts.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Yes. Uh, do I need more wine? Well, yeah. oh, you, you already have
2: a glassful there. But probably, we do have another bottle.
0: I don't have a glassful anymore. <laughs> 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 ah. No, wait. Oh. Mm. <sighs> no, that was a little that was French. A little French. <laughs> that was a little French. <laughs> no. Oh. no, this is not about Marie Chevalier. Yay. No.
1: I would love to have seen a buddy movie where Jean Renaud and Toshiro Mifune. Oh, my
0: God. Wouldn't that be
1: awesome? <laughs> oh, no, that's, mm. that's Aww. a buddy film. That would have been mm. a fascinating sequel to Red Sun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: that's a, that's a thing. That
0: would have been a stoic stare-off between the two of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And then they would both become like very delightful and smiley and just go off and get drinks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they
1: would.
2: Yeah. 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 That, uh. that makes me happy. Yeah, yes. I like
0: this. I like this alternative universe you've dreamed up. Someday yes. I will go there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so soon enough, you have yes. Kurosawa so gets, then, gets offered a job.
1: Well, in thirty five, yeah. it's Toho held open uh, held an open call for anyone who wants to come and be an assistant director, or basically a PA. And so... How old was he at that point? It was 35, so he would have been 25. Okay. And so just on a whim, he went and did it, and he quickly became friends of a director named Kajiro Yamamoto, for whom he worked on 17 films. Hmm. And Yamamoto, like, pulled him under his wing, taught him, like, everything he knows, all the various fields, and... Was this sound by this Yes, this point? was sound yeah. by this point.
0: Yeah, it would have been. Okay, yeah.
1: And then he also instilled in Kurosawa that if you want to be a great director, you also have to be a great screenwriter. And Kurosawa started... Writing scripts and up until the 60s, he wrote dozens and dozens and dozens of films that he didn't even direct. That
0: other people directed? Yep, nice. Mm -hmm. And
1: I won't cover all of them here, but uh, (laughs) thank God because there's a lot. And and
0: (laughs) I do need to start packing to move in a week. (laughs) And he also,
1: I I have like three that I'll cover important (laughs) ones, important ones. Yeah. Noel, you're one of my favorite people. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And so, anyways, he also published all of his screenplays and would, like, enter them in in competitions. Uh, It was actually quite common at the time for studios to publish all of their screenplays in magazines. And then whichever ones people responded to, those are what we're going to make. Cool. And Kurosawa's almost always got made.
0: Very cool. And That's not a bad idea. Well, spoilers, but yeah, get over it.
1: That's not a bad idea. Yeah, as opposed to nowadays when studios are like, they can't get spoilers. They can't get spoilers. But anyways through uh, getting all the scripts published and all the scripts he sold, he actually made a much better living off of writing than he did his directing and would actually use that to help finance his movies. Huh. So, And then that brings us to his first work as a director, mm-hmm. which is the 1941 film Uma, which translates as Horse. And it's about a... a A young girl who uh, has this beloved horse that she raises from when it's born to adulthood. And then the military steps in and you have to now volunteer that horse for military service.
2: So it's like War Horse.
1: Yeah. Essentially. (laughs) Exactly. And it was officially, it was a Yamamoto movie, but Yamamoto was so busy in projects that he kind of quietly is like, here, you direct it. (laughs) Which was a common thing in Italy, because I know that's how Mario Bava and Dario Argento got their start. Oh, totally. Where it's like, be an assistant director, and then the director will just be- become sick two days into shooting and let you direct the movie.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It, that was that was very frequent back then. But yeah, um, I have never seen Horus. Have you, gotten? I It's
1: never been released over here. Okay. I know it's around. It's in some Japanese archives, but no one's ever released it here.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, but then his first official movie, Sanshiro Sugata.
2: Which I just watched. Prior to this week, there were four... Kurosawa movies I had not seen, and Shugata 1 and Shugata 2 were two of them. And I got through Shugata 1, and I tried to get through Shugata 2 today, and the power went out at my house, and it's still out, which is why we're recording at Wendy's. So I'm
0: like, It's kind of nice to record here as a last farewell. I know, it is, it is. Mm. So,
2: but yes, um, I was very impressed by his first
1: official movie. He's got a lot of talent on display right outside the game. Oh yeah. Oh. Just
2: right away. And, and there's a lot of it. You can watch it. Yep. This is, a, this sure is a Kurosawa movie. Cause a lot of the way he tells a story and the way he portrays characters, it's all right there at the beginning. Sitting
1: in the pond watching the flower.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, uh, Or that that beautiful ending scene where on the mountain, on the hilltop, on the the tall grass. Yeah, with the 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 windstorm coming through, the guy just
1: shouting out a song. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just beautiful. It was Kurosawa's version of the opening of Sound of Music. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Only with (laughs) more fighting, with more judo. (laughs) Oh, and it should be that the Sound of is the story about the founder of the school of judo. Yes. And uh, the the lead actor is
2: very charismatic, I, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a fun character to watch. And um, yeah, it's it's just the the from from student to master right. the the path of learning that this character goes yeah. through. And it's it's not very long; it's like eighty minutes long, and um, it's missing like twenty minutes of footage, so yeah. it's
1: choppy. It was it's, cut for being too western. Yeah, because we really? are we are very
2: in, western. Well,
1: yes. we are in 1943. This is World War II is on, mm-hmm. and oh, it's the Japanese yeah. propaganda system. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Also, um, something I, I really love about Sanchiro Shugata is that it's set during the Edo era. The it's 18, the late 1800s. Yeah. Yeah, it's the late 1800s, and so you get most of the characters showing up in what you think of as traditional samurai garb mm-hmm. with the you know, with the, you know, the robes and the... Then there's a lot of Western outfits. And then, and then you get, you, you randomly see other characters show up in Western outfits, Mm -hmm. smoking cigarettes, or you see guys in their, their traditional Japanese garb walking around smoking a cigarette. And so it's, it is showing this mashup of in the late 1800s, that's when all the Westerners started coming over to Mm -hmm. Japan and kind of absorbing their culture and Japan was absorbing the Western culture. And this movie shows that mm-hmm. I found it super, super interesting.
1: So it's also worth pointing out that I like how it's also like a prototype for like every martial arts movie ever made. Yes. You know, this young rowdy youth comes to a school where he's trained discipline and becomes a master. And then there's the rival school and the big fight is him mm-hmm. versus the villain in the rival school. And he's in so mom- it's
0: the karate kid.
1: It is. And even the sequel, the sequel of Got Sakura 2, which he made like two years later, uh, is the twin brother of the rival that he beat before <laughs> yes. is now coming back for revenge. Yes. <laughs> Did he kill the, the original? No, but he beat him in battle, and so the guy is absolutely crushed in his spirits.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but, well because Japan. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, Japan's messed up, You. The
1: villain was defeated, so he's just sulking in a corner now, and his brother's like, so who did this to you?
0: His twin brother. His twin
1: brother played by the same actor who played the bad guy in the first one.
0: Well, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that was exactly. what I was like. I'm betting it's the same actor, like Bruce Lee, who just keeps coming back from the dead.
1: Yeah. But it's fascinating because, yeah, there's a lot of technique that is just so purely... Like, there's this one scene, I can't remember if it was in one or two, where you just go from this teenager coming in on his first day at a new school for martial arts, and he's just all flumpy and all stuff. And it's just this montage of just him showing up each day. And he's, like, growing more confident, more skilled, more disciplined, just in the way he carries himself, the way he just comes in and sits down. Just It's just a fascinating little thing. And then there's also this montage following a single sandal yeah. down a street.
2: Yeah, the the first one has the sandal. The second one has yeah. the montage of the teenager, and uh, it's beautiful. They're yeah. beautiful little bits. It's like, oh, that's Kurosawa already. It's yeah. it's wonderful.
1: And I would love to find it. In 1965, he wrote and produced a remake where he took both films and kind of fused them into a single film, mm-hmm. starring Toshiro Mifune.
0: No.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> So, oh. I should also point out that Sanchiro Sugata is the first of 22 films he does with Takashi Shimura.
2: Yes. I, I was so happy to see yes. Shimura show up right off the bat. It's like, oh. yay!
1: And the last will be Kage Kagemusha. Yeah. Which is also uh, Shimura's last film before he passed away. Yeah. Oh. Shimura, uh, Shimura is the Joseph Cotton of Japan.
0: Yeah, or Morgan Freeman.
2: yeah. He, yeah he's, he's the everyman actor, and
1: he, he did even more films yeah, with... I, would, I always get Morgan Freeman. Freeman.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> because Morgan Freeman been... has a
1: surprising range of types of roles that he plays.
0: Yeah, but Joseph Cotton is... I mean, mm. if you're going to go for an... If you tell me everyman the average joe the guy the guy who is your easy protagonist right well, the person who becomes your into the shimura movie
1: shimura is rarely the protagonist though he's always usually the secondary he's the mentor figure the father figure the brother figure yeah
0: but i mean you yeah. you you got
1: those roles yeah. out of
2: out of cotton too yeah. Yeah. but i mean he there's that instantly likable thing about shimura mm-hmm. you know he is kind of that usually kind of a fatherly figure or if he's in a place of authority, he's not
1: threatening. Though he can yeah. be. He can be. He can, he be. Knows, he knows can the, be. In fact, like in a few films, we'll come up to him playing a villain or he's oh. terrifying.
2: Oh, absolutely. But usually, yes. you know, usually he's a great entry point for the audience. He just has these great eyes. Oh, he's wonderful. He's just wonderful.
1: Actually, you know who I always think of? William H. Macy. Oh, that'd be yeah. good, too. Wait, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh.
1: Mm. <laughs> mm. oh. So then we get to the most beautiful, which I have not seen. The most beautiful is it's it was a pure war propaganda film, ish. I'll get to that in a second. But it's <laughs> you know how when all the soldiers went off to war, all the women went and worked the factories. That happened in Japan too. So it's a story of all these women who have to come and live in a dormitory together, and a camera a factory has been taken over to make lenses for the bombing equipment, and it's just all these women. This is where I'm like it's it's a propaganda film on the surface, but it's actually a very subversive because Curacao was not a fan of the militarist movement, no, that took over, and it's a very subversive, almost fuck you to the industry, while also supporting like look at these amazing women who are surviving through this system, because it's they're in this system where it's constantly increased production, you know it's like you just you just topped your record today, do more tomorrow. You know, and it's like, if you can't do your job, you are shamed. Your family is shamed. If you get sick, you are shamed. You know, and it's like, Uh. all the. it's just, and yet they all form this really close-knit group. And it's like celebrating them, not the system that they're in. Mm -hmm. Though he got by by saying, oh, yeah, we're supporting, you know, they're, they're supporting the war effort and all that stuff. And it's also worth pointing out, this was the start of Kurosawa- I almost call him a method director because (laughs) he requires his actors to live their characters in terms of like live on the sets as though they're your home, wear their costumes as though they are your clothes. And that's also where he started instead of like making sets, no, make an authentic house. Instead of making costumes, Mm -hmm. make authentic clothes the way they would have been made in the period. You know, you have to eat that food. You have to live with those people. And all of the women were forced to live in the dormitories. And they kind of elected one of the lead actresses as their head representative, who would constantly get into these fights with Kurosawa in terms of like, no, you're you're overstepping, you're asking us to do too much. And a year later, she and him married. <laughs> Aww. And then they and they were together up until uh, like the mid '80s when she passed away.
0: Aww, that's so sweet. Yeah. What's a Mafuni sweet sound? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so which one do we have next uh, then we've got the men who uh, the men who tread on the tiger's tail which I also just watched this week And
0: oh my god Melissa's eyes just I, got glitterly well, big I've been waiting I've been waiting for these
2: early Kurosawa films for a long time and you know they did come out on uh, epic DVD release epic meaning the company not like no, <laughs> Criterion yeah,
1: criteria, yeah.
2: but it, it's a Criterion but oh, the like their subline yeah. line, the, yes. their epic line but um They finally came out, but I hadn't had a chance to catch up with them. And then Noel brought them by
1: last Wednesday. And it's like, yay! And what's funny is I haven't even watched those DVDs yet myself. I actually, when I did my project going through all of Kurosawa, which I want to say was like 2008, 2009, it was my first blogging project. Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually tracked down the Kino Video VHSs (laughs) for those early movies. yeah, Because this DVD set hadn't come out yet.
2: Yeah, they were unavailable for a long
1: time. I still have have my, my... my VCR hooked up to my high TV. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. I, we
0: have our VCR hooked up. Yeah. Yep, Which I've is good. I mean, we still have VCRs of things. Oh, yeah. V- VHSs of things. Yep.
1: And... There's even a couple of Aldrich films that I only that are, have never come out on DVD that I only have on video.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I've got my VHS ready to go, just mm-hmm.
1: in case. So... <laughs> so Men Who Shred on the Tiger's Tale is it's based on a kind of classic no-theater drama where it's just a... Uh, There's been a, it's in the feudal period where one clan, their stronghold is collapsed and the samurai are smuggling the young prince across enemy lines by disguising him as a peasant. It's basically an early draft of hidden fortress. Yeah. And there's a bumbling uh, peasant who's guiding them along that they don't know if he's going to rat them out or not. You know, and it's, it's not, there's not much to it.
2: No, and it's also only an hour long. Yeah. It's very short, it's very clearly done on a set. And it's basically
1: and, the entire plot of them having to get through one uh blockade. Yeah. And um And then they get drunk in the end. and then they get drunk. <laughs> you know, as you do. Yeah.
2: But it's uh apparently that movie was made like during the bombing raids on on oh, Tokyo. Yes. So they were <laughs> they were constantly interrupting the filming because they were getting bombed. Not drunk, but bombed.
0: (laughs) uh, I have a feeling they were also getting drunk while being bombed. Quite possibly. That's how I would deal with that.
2: There were no women in the movie because they had sent all the women. All the women who worked for Toho had been sent out and evacuated. And so it was just the guys
1: making a movie. And what's interesting is he had a hard time getting the movie greenlit because... The Japanese censors were becoming incredibly erratic at that time. And his uh, Kurosawa wrote wrote his own autobiography, where he just tears into the whole Japanese sensor board. <laughs> he actually loved working with the American occupation censors because they would actually sit down and talk about the films with him, and they actually became fans of his work. Mm-hmm. But the Japanese censors, especially as as everything was collapsing, were just like incredibly erratic in terms of what you were allowed to do and whatnot. So that then, of course, once he finally got it greenlit, then the war ends while they're shooting, mm-hmm. and Uh, A military convoy comes to visit the studios with director John Ford meeting them, (gasps) who mm -hmm. John Ford then pulled strings to make sure that he could finish the film. This is the start, because Kurosawa was already a fan of Ford, because he was a fan of his old silent westerns from the Mm -hmm. old silent movies. And Ford loved meeting Kurosawa, and for decades, whenever he found out someone in Hollywood was going to go to Japan, he's like, go visit Kurosawa, go see how his films are, because he really liked watching the guy direct. And did, he, did he know who Kurosawa was before he rolled into Not town? Not at the time. But, you know, of course, then when Kurosawa became famous in the 50s with the Akira and Rashomon, Ford was like, yes, yes, good. You're all watching him. You finally discovered him. And so they actually kind of had this long distance correspondence. It was kind of like Kubrick and Spielberg.
0: Mm-hmm. Aww. Mm-hmm.
1: Aww. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Kurosawa always considered Ford one of his mentors. Aww. Yeah. And it's, like, through him, like, you know, John Wayne came and visited the set of Sam, Seven Samurai. Other people, any any actor who was coming there, Ford would point them at Kurosawa and say, go visit him. See how he's doing. Yeah, Kurosawa had
2: tremendous um, support from the West. Yes. I mean, from, from particularly from Americans. But, yes. You know, he also was very, as you mentioned earlier, he was a very Western director. He, yes. You know, because that's, those are the movies he watched. That's where he learned. and. Yeah.
1: His and it, at various points in his movie. career, that was beneficial because it drew him an international audience. And mm-hmm. at other times, it was a problem because in Japan, he was labeled as too Western.
0: Yeah. What does that even mean?
1: Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, it's Japan. It, there, there, there was still a very big period of xenophobia <laughs> too- following the war.
0: Too yeah. clear cut and open about what's really happening? Is that what that means? Well, if, well
1: no, it's it's the way the story is told. And, and, a, and a lot of his films are about... A lot of his films that we'll have coming up are like, like the post-occupation movies are about here's everything that's going wrong in Japan. Yeah. And very rarely would he ever criticize the West. There's a few times when he would, but... Well, there's a... I'm sorry.
0: There's a lot to criticize about... Japan oh uh, yeah but I mean it it, Japan, it is J-
2: Japan was a was a nation that was healing and yes. uh, I mean uh, ja- and we well, have some interesting well, well, ones think, that we'll get to yeah but. when you think about it Japan modernized itself over a period of 40 years like it went from feudal period to modern world in, in an incredible incredibly short amount of time and so it had a lot of really conflicting ideas about itself and And it was still still does and it still does but but i mean especially you know they'd just been defeated in a war and they just had the most devastating weapon ever made by humanity dropped upon them twice yes i mean of course
1: they're going to be a little fucked up as a country And, and kurosawa was he was also like he liked Western things, but he was also somewhat critical in terms of how his country would adopt certain things. Like, we'll get to... He considered, basically, the samurai devolved into the Yakuza, and he hated the Yakuza. And he also felt that the Yakuza were being corporatized, and were starting to... Basically, the corporations that rose up in Japan were all corrupt and everything. You know, the media started to latch on to tabloid culture. You know, and what were the problems that result from that? As I said, we'll be getting into that in some certain films.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, and it's just he, he's an interesting figure in that he loves his country and he loves this other country and he loves to see the good things that come and he hates the bad things that come when they mix. And I think a lot of people in Japan are just, like, focusing on just the you're trumping up the West and criticizing us. And it's like, no, he's not. He's criticizing people who don't think things through.
0: Well, I mean, he's an yeah. artist. That's kind of what they do. They step outside and look in and go, yes. hmm, this is what I
1: see. Yes. Ah. Mm-hmm. And it should also be said that, you know, conversely, in the in the West, he's mostly just looked at for his samurai films. And we don't really look at him in terms of his broader commentary. Yeah.
2: And uh, which I find kind of tragic because some of my favorite oh. stuff that he's done is
1: in the film War Era. Yeah, right. And only a it's third of his stuff. films are samurai period movies. Yeah. Most of his are actually set in the modern day. Mm-hmm. So but anyways, so Men Who on Tiger's Sale, after Ford helped him get the film made, the film then failed to pass the American censorship board because it was too futile. <laughs> but... What, wait, wait, they,
0: so the Americans were, what, forcing a new cultural well, reality? On no, them? When, well, they they kind of were for a couple years. Yes, no, but, the
1: American occupation, it it's interesting in that it wasn't really setting in to come out and take over Japan, but it the American occupation rebuilt the infrastructure... Refi- fixed the economic issues that led to the war in the first place, and then left because the American actor was only there for like nine years and then left. But, imme-
2: but immediately after the war, I mean, there were there was some propaganda to kind of break that, um, you know, kamikaze pilot right. sort of <laughs> mentality. Right. And I, yes. I think it's
1: also because it was a film that was greenlit by the Japanese propaganda department. Yeah, and I think he and he didn't argue that. He did He was like, you know, yeah, okay, just shelve it. Mm-hmm. uh and it did come out finally in like i think seven years later after like akira and rashomon were popular yeah so like here's the lost kurosawa movie yeah 1952 yeah. is when it came out but then like for the remainder of the films the occupation he actually got along with the occupation really well he would bring his scripts there say okay just let me know what you have problems with what we can we do to fix them and they actually loved working with him too Mm-hmm. So, and it's just, it's an interesting thing of like how he was working basically with the occupation movement. Well, but his... it was an occupation that was there to rebuild the country too.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, his ideals always kind of aligned more with the West anyway.
1: Right. So. It... Well,
2: with forward progress. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, and as I, mean... I said,
1: he was part of the left-wing progressive movement that was against the militarists to begin with. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's
0: just it is traditional Japanese culture. Yeah. There's a reason they were still feudal all the way up to the twentieth century. Well it was very isolated, yeah.
1: And it's in fact that still well, runs a lot of their, uh,
0: lot you of know their what? corporations. They are, are no more isolated no, 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 than I the don't United mean Kingdom. That. They were a culture that was incredibly locked.
1: So what I mean mm-hmm. is in terms of their feudalist classism that still exists within the corporate side. Oh Japan. god, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah. I mean the fact that right now there there is there are no marriages, there are no babies, mm-hmm. you know, because the young women are like, if I get married, I have to go be a traditional wife, and I don't want yes. that. So I'm just not going to get married. And I all I can think is, or you could come up with an option that's not that.
1: <laughs> it should be pointed out his wife made no more movies after she married him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Though his daughter then became his head costume designer. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> So, anyways, the next film, this one I'll just mention briefly, is "Those Who Make Tomorrow," which has never been released over here. Mm-hmm. It's an anth- it's it's not an anthology film, but it had three different directors, mm-hmm. do, like each doing a segment of the film. It's about two sisters who work at a movie studio who are caught on opposite sides of a pending union strike, and that is something that he he was involved in a lot of. There were constant union strikes at, to- at Toho. Yeah, and that's something that he constantly got caught up in. Eventually, that's why he left Toho for a while. Um, but anyways, his next big film. And this is where we bring in a lot of stuff that we've just been talking about. No Regrets for Our Youth. Oh, yes. Which was made one year after the war ended. And it's this entire 20-year look at the rise of the military movement. It's just a scathing condemnation of Mm -hmm. what led Japan to the war in the first place. And it's because in the 30s, there were these massive student protests to try to to halt the growth of this mili- uh, this growth of this military party that were just brutally cut down. Like think like Kent State, mm. you know, but constantly going on at schools all over the place with teachers and students being locked up, killed, <sighs> just because they stood up and protested. And this is about the daughter of a professor who is just this kind of rich snob, rich snobby girl. She doesn't really care about anything. Uh, who. It's a romantic triangle where she falls in love with two guys, one of whom is on the students union side uh, <laughs> and one of whom is on the side of the of the oh. government. And it's literally like over the next 20 years, as you know, her father gets imprisoned, prison, then she's homeless and she has to go work at a factory. And then it's like her still batting back and forth between these two men. When she goes to the union guy, he gets executed for treason and she gets arrested where she's tortured by Takashi Shimura. Mm -hmm. And then it's like then after the war collapses, she or then she marries someone. I can't remember which one of the two she marries. But she marries one of them who dies and then she goes out to the family farm and starts working the rice paddies. And it's like her just from this young wealthy student to just this hardened middle-aged woman working the rice paddies, not even caring that the war has just ended.
0: Well, what what does it yeah. have to do with her at that point? Exactly,
1: mm-hmm. and it's just this fascinating. Like literally, the year after the war ends, here's this director basically making this bold statement of, "Yeah, we never should have been here in the first place."
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: Ah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it,
2: Kurosawa's early works from like 1945 to
1: 1955 are just fascinating because they they're, they're, they're they have this this intensity to them. Yeah. So much social commentary to them. And this one, it was just, it was just this fascinating look. And it, it, it's very reminiscent of, you know, like four or five years after 9-11, all those questions that, all those films that came out and asked like, okay, why did we choose to go this direction again? hmm You know, it's, it's very scathing. It's yeah. very in the moment too. Nice. But it's, it's, it's a very well-made film. And then... We get to one wonderful Sunday, which is kind of like the emotional opposite.
0: Yeah, it is okay. Well, I love this is, is one I'd bizarre. recommend for
1: you. It is a bizarre. Uh, someday
0: movie. I will watch it's, all the Kurosawa. It has been on my list for a long time, listeners. No, no. This is where I let you know I haven't seen that much Kurosawa. Not through any lack of desire.
1: Just you know, we make choices in our life. Here's, here's why I recommend it to you. It's a Frank Copper romantic comedy. <laughs> It is. It's it, it's it's a couple. It's got a tragic element to it. But well, still. well, it does. Yeah.
2: There, there's kind of a melancholy to it, but it's uh, the the plot of it is basically um, there's a young couple um, that uh, they can only see each other once a month,
1: right? It's once yeah, a month. It, it's like because there's the economic depression following the war. Yeah,
2: and they don't and, live near each
1: other, and they can only afford to just basically go out one Sunday a month. Yeah, oh. and they and, can't afford to get married. They can't afford to move in with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because listeners, if you're young and haven't figured it out or thought it through, getting married means that the man has to make enough money no, to support no, no, the wife. Not in this no. story.
1: Not in this story. Not actually in this story. This story is that they literally can't afford it. They cannot. Like
2: when they meet once a month, they they have like okay, we have the equivalent of five dollars. Yeah, here's How, what and we have the whole have. day to spend with each other. How can we stretch this five right. dollars? And it's like and it's the entire
1: day of them going, okay, this will cost a dime. How much do we have left? Right. And something and they it's like a mixture of things like they'll pay for something and it ends up being an experience that's like, oh, we wasted our money. Mm-hmm. Or it's like then they'll randomly come across something for free and it'll be like, Oh, that was a wonderful little moment. Mm-hmm. And it's like they even like just decide to go apartment hunting just, just to see what, what it would be like if they were. And Well, if probably they can't get
0: married because one or the other would have to give up their job and there's no guarantee of the of getting a new job. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And the other one can't afford to support the other. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's just, it's just this wonderful, little, it's kind of heartbreaking, but it, and it doesn't really resolve anything. It ends with them just going off and they'll see each other again next Sunday mm-hmm. or next month. Aww. And and it has a bizarre ending. It does. It has this
2: bizarre scene where w- with the with the amphithe the empty amphitheater. We're thinking of the yeah. same scene,
0: right? Yes. Oh,
1: where it's basically you you know that Peter Pan, if you believe, clap your hands. Uh-huh. And, or, basically, it's that where it's like you know he's trying to entertain her on this day, and then gets all kind of crushed and depressed that he can't. So she literally looks to the audience, and is like. Look at us. Don't you want us to live? Don't you want us to be happy? Please clap your hands. Clap your hands. <laughs> it and, is bizarre. And it was funny because and Kurosawa, bizarre. Kurosawa in his autobiography is like, I probably shouldn't have done that because I went to the movie theaters a few times and everyone just sat there silent. <laughs> <laughs> like really uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to clap. Are you going to clap? <laughs> so it's, it's if somebody weird. else claps, I'll clap. Are you going to th- clap? I'm not so, going to clap. So Japan is just like Minnesota. Yes.
1: yes. Well, yeah. There's a lot I've, of similarities. Oh, I've I've been to a movie in Japan. It is everyone is just very silent. They sit through the entire credits silently, and then they quietly get up and walk away.
0: Oh, <laughs> I like that they applaud though.
1: Yes. Right? Yeah, they, they they turn into it to the
2: projector. Uh, dear listeners, the extra voice was Woody's husband,
0: Chris. Hello. Yes, our studio hello. audience for this episode. Yes, mostly our studio drinker i mean i mm-hmm. feel like he just joined us to gain access to our wine well he's done that before it's fine i'm not judging okay
1: so so here is where we get to a very big big addition to caruso's big 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 one big one.
2: Big Big, big, money big, 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 big. big money so, big money. so this is
1: this is not a film that caruso directed is one that he wrote called snow trails mm-hmm. it is the screen debut of Toshiro Mifune <gasps> and the reason I bring it up here is because he got the job because of Caruso wait how did he get the job because of Caruso? well let me get okay so Mifune, well, was, Mifune was a war photographer he was a war photographer yeah. who then who then went to Toho as a camera assistant mm-hmm. and so he just on a whim or a bunch of a bunch of his friends when uh, Toho was having another one of those open casting calls submitted him as an actor and so he just shows up at the auditions like, ah, sure, why not? And basically proceeded to piss off every single one of the judges <laughs> who were just, like, scared of him. But... What, it, like, what was he doing? like? He was just, in like, going full Mifune intensity. He oh, was Japanese Nick Cage. Have you ever heard the story about when Henry Rollins auditioned for Death to Smoochie? <laughs> and <No>. and <laughs> threw a chair across the room and almost hit the head in the head? So I imagine it was probably like that. <laughs> Oh, did he go full Mifuni? I, I yes. believe he did. And so, though, beneficially, though, Yamamoto, who was uh, Kurosawa's mentor, and Kurosawa happened to just on a whim go and be we were in the audience that day. And we were both like, that guy, that guy. And so look at him. He's fearless. Yeah. So,
0: so Yamamoto. That man gives no fucks.
1: <laughs> yes. So Yamamoto uh, pulled some strings and got him into snow trails, which again, Kurosawa wrote. And Kurosawa then built his next film around it. Let me get to Snow Trails here first. Mm -hmm. I just watched it. It's never been... So wait, his mentor Yamamoto directed Snow Trails. No, but produced it. And one of his other directors that he mentored.
0: And Kurosawa wrote it. And Kurosawa wrote it. And the two of them made sure that Mifune got a role.
1: And they made sure Mifune got a role. And then Kurosawa's next film, which we'll be getting to, he specifically wrote with Mifune in mind. (laughs) However, Snow Trails is kind of an interesting prologue to that. Because it's... I just watched it. It's never been released here on DVD, but Criterion has it up on Hulu. It's oh. it's Oh Takashi Shimura and Toshiro Mifune uh-huh. are two bank robbers who just robbed a bank and are trudging through the, the Japanese mountainside with cops on their tail when they find a cabin with a little family in it. And so it's these two bank robbers hiding in this cabin with this family. And Mifune is the, is the scoundrel who is, like, threatening everyone, and Shimura is, like, the person who's now drawn to the domesticity of what my life could have been had I not gone down this road. Mm-hmm. And the last third of the movie is basically the last hour of Jaws, <laughs> where these, these two criminals kidnap a mountain climber to take them over the mountain. And basically everything goes to shit. The Like in the last 10 minutes, it's a full-on marvelously choreographed Mifune Shimura fight scene.
0: Mm-hmm. With
1: like ice axes and cleats, and on top of a snow capped mountain, uh, 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 Shimura is surprisingly spry, uh, <laughs> and it's just this wonderful thing. And and I highly I don't want to give away the ending, but I highly recommend it. It's worth watching on Hulu. Excellent, it's on Hulu. Yes, Hulu. Cue, cue it up. Cue it up. And so then Hulu. Th- and so then this led to uh, Kurosawa building. The first of his 16 films that he did with Mifune, as well as Takashi Shimura, Drunken Angel. I love Drunken Angel so much. Go ahead and tell us what Drunken Angel is about.
2: Okay, so... Oh, boy. It's been a while since I've watched it. But um, Drunken Angel, uh, Shimura plays a doctor. He's kind of down in his luck, lives in the in the bad part of town. Treats so tuberculosis. He, 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 tre- he treats tuberculosis patients. Actually, there's a
1: song like that in the movie.
2: Yes. And in the ghetto and uh, Mufune shows up and he <sighs> is a gangster and with tuberculosis yeah. and basically the whole movie is Shimura trying to convince Mufune you can't keep
1: to, living this lifestyle you, you can't li- keep living this li-
2: you are killing yourself <laughs> you need to slow down you need yes. to give up the life you're living and, and then is
1: having none of it. And then and then things take an even interesting turn when Mafune pisses off someone else and suddenly a whole bunch of hitmen are on his tail. Uh-huh. Like there's one hitman who makes an entrance just just sitting there playing a banjo. Yeah. And it's like a full-on Sergio Leone scene. Yeah. And like the entire film is shot around like a real cesspool in the ghetto. Yeah. And it's just this marvelous location. And again, it's a film that explores what was the poverty immediately following the war before the eco- the economy picked up. Uh yeah, exploring yakuza lifestyle, which Kurosawa hated. Yeah, and it has this marvelous fight scene where it's Mifune versus two gangsters in a wooden like over a wooden floor where paint cans are just spilling all over the place, and they're fighting through the paint.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. It, it this is one of uh, Kurosawa's noirs, and it is. Glorious. Oh my god, that's like it's- some. It,
0: amazing venn diagram of awesome it is it's beautiful i right. love ooh, ooh, is real education noir gonna watch this oh we point? oh yes it is on the uh-huh. list uh-huh. i'm sure we we'll like get to another one here. other yeah. movies yeah
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah and then and then we get to one that
1: I, I think is one of his weaker movies the quiet duel yeah quiet duel it also involves tuberculosis no no it's vd Oh, it's VD. That's it, right. It, it, it's, it's your venereal disease, ca, venereal disease cautionary film. Yeah, where that's Mifune right. is a surgeon who, while in the war, cut himself while operating on a patient and caught the patient's. Um, I can't remember what's mm. the specific. Yeah, I,
2: can, uh, I... syphilis. Well, clearly syphilis. We syphilis. It. Yes, because it's, it's syphilis because
1: it's, it's the one that gets in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's basically him trying to keep secret the fact that he has syphilis. And the entire film is about look at this man suffering in silence, and you know his the the woman that he loves, uh, he won't marry her because he doesn't want to get her sick. Uh, mm-hmm. He then sees the the criminal who, the guy who's now a criminal who gave him the VD in the first place is still just casually sleeping around and infecting other people.
0: Ah, mm-hmm. oh. okay. Do we yeah. there's a there's an Ibsen play Henrik Ibsen okay called Ghosts that is about the father having syphilis Mm -hmm. going crazy and the son getting it because they didn't really understand how it was transmitted and the son like smoked a cigar and then the son like gets syphilis and goes mad at the end like (laughs) like like a light bulb like boom and you're you're gone mad with syphilis boom and it's it's it doesn't get produced that often be- largely because we now know right. how syphilis works and it's sort of ridiculous when you watch it and you're like, right. yeah, that's not how that works. Well, it, it yeah, can then, if
1: it's not treated. Right. It right. can get really bad.
0: But it wasn't that what... Yeah, but you don't catch it from
2: a cigar. No, but, no, no. No, not, you I, don't
1: not, get it from a cigar. No, but... And this one, he literally cuts himself with a scalpel while covered in the other person's blood. So, yeah, you would catch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and quite dual more focuses on just him trying to... Quietly live with it and not pass it on.
0: Right,
2: and it's it's not about the insanity or the you know yeah. the
0: flashy parts of syphilis. So it's okay. oddly prescient. The flashy <laughs> parts of syphilis. <laughs> All right, that might be an episode title. <laughs> the at the very least, parts of syphilis, of syphilis. At the very is least,
1: the name of my garbage cover band. There. That was the, <laughs> yeah. That was the
0: unmade Fosse
1: movie. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> No, no, it can be a garbage cover band, but do not profane the name of Fosse with something like that. It just is, however, ends. a great, it is a great title. You know, like <laughs> the flashy parts of Zibolas. Um so, No, it's very prescient of yeah. AIDS movies. It it is. Oh, yes. It is. It's
1: just, it's only major problem is that it's just kind of a weepy melodrama. It's yeah. not. Yeah, it. it's, it's. Kind it's of all one stodgy. tone. And yeah. it, it, part of the problem, it was it was something that he kind of did as a favor because it was a friend of his who owned a theater company, and it this was one of their star plays, and he did this to try to help get that friend exposure. It was uh, Minoru Chiaki who was a character actor in a ton of his movies. He was one of the Seven Samurai. Yeah. Um, Dear re- listeners.
0: Thingval is not referring to any notes at this point. He oh, yeah. is no, simply I mean, espousing on things that he happens no, to know. It's
1: actually Minoru Chiaki is one of my favorite character actors. Yeah. every time. That he is them. pretty That's great. A, that he doesn't
0: is. make it any less yes.
1: nerd-tastic. No judgment here, nerd-tastic. What's, now, what's more, I did also write essays on every single one of his films back in the day. As I said, my first blog. blog. What What is the name <laughs> of your What is the website for your blog? Uh well this would be nollct.blogspot.com It's just Okay, you need it, to say that slower so they can find your lovely essays. nollct.blogspot.com And we will link that in the shoal notes. notes. the shoal shoal notes. The
2: noll shoal. Nol it, shoal. The noll shoal notes. It's the null shoal.
0: Irma <laughs> <laughs> Gerd, Null, Nurl. All right, listeners, we finished off the Avalon Cab. And uh, I have no idea when you're going to hear this because as far as I know, this might be a three-part episode. <laughs> uh, but we are drinking, I don't know that we've drunk it on this podcast before, but it is one of our favorite house wines here at um, Muppet Labs. This is an apothic red. It is one of my favorite. Favorite labels, mm-hmm. just flat. Look at that! It's just it,
2: it, it's it's uh, shiny and red. It's
0: just fucking gorgeous. It's gothic. Look at the mm, decent look Lovely, mm. Mm. lovely. So it nice. it's very Francis Ford
2: Coppola Dracula. Very intricate. Yeah,
0: it's very Francis Ford Coppola. This is just a winemaker's blend, a 2013. It, the The label is beautiful. It does
1: look like a YA vampire novel cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, like but like a, a higher quality one than Twilight. Yes, yeah, right, much uh, better.
1: Though so I think we're going to get to one here that Melissa's going to want to talk about. Oh yes, because now we're getting into 1950. Yes, the Stray Dog.
2: I love Stray Dog so much. I oh, love Stray Dog. Oh, her hands. Oh my God, I love Stray Dog. She's
1: wiggling.
0: She's wiggling. Yeah, She's yeah. Wiggling.
2: yeah. yeah. It's, an, it's another one of his famous noirs. It is. Um, it is once again Mufuni and Shimura. and um, Buddy Cop. It is. It's a Buddy Cop movie, kind of. Yeah. It's seven without the serial killer, basically. The Stray Dog in the title refers to a gun that is
1: lost the cop loses his gun yeah, the cop on his first day his gun is stolen
2: yeah oh. and it's him
1: trying to find it as each of the bullets is used in another crime
2: oh yes
1: it it is oh. glorious and that's the thing is in japan guns are illegal yeah and yet there was this kind of influx of guns following the war that spread around well there's and a lot also, of guns around and it's also cops cops have to register every bullet that they fire in yeah. japan that makes super yeah. fucking sense. So I mean, there's a lot of lockdown on gun control there. So a cop losing his gun and now having to find like here's murder after murder after murder. Oh yeah, it it is. Yeah. Okay, really which tense. which one of
0: them lost the gun?
1: Mifune. Oh. and Shimura. Oh. Shimura is the great mentor guy, and it's like during a heat wave, so they're all covered in sweat. Yeah, and it, it is so good. And and it's it's basically because Mifune was a former soldier who then came home and became a cop. The killer is a former soldier who came back and was suffering from PTSD.
0: Oh.
1: And so it's like him now relating to this guy
2: that mm-hmm. he's still
1: trying to catch. And just the climax is just spectacular. Yeah, it's
2: it's a phenomenal film, just front to it back. Is. It is.
1: It's so good. I want to say, Kurosawa had made some great films before. This is his first masterpiece. Yeah. This is an amazing movie. Yeah, oh. it, it,
2: The whole thing. It's just a slam dunk. It's beautiful.
1: And this is like the start of... I think we got two sort of lesser ones, but from like here... To 1965 are going to be like one amazing masterpiece after that. So what yeah. year is this? This is 1949.
0: So this mm-hmm. is a run of about 15, 16 years. Yeah. Well,
1: it's... it's. Yeah, like I said, yeah. he's going to have two, two kind of weaker interruptions early on here. But then it's like, we're going to get to all the big ones here, like in just two films. Yeah. And then the next one, 1950, was Scandal, which is one of his lesser Yeah, Scandal was okay. Scandal was... It, it's kind of eh. Its main problem is it started as one movie. It was supposed to be a movie about a painter and an actress who are both just vacationing out to the mon- on the countryside. They'd never met each other before, but they decide you know, she invites him to, his, to her room for like some tea and they have a chat. And then they leave. And then a few days later tabloid photos get out of him leaving her room and it's like oh they were having an affair and so this is kurosawa's teardown of tabloid journalism mm-hmm. as they then sue to say no we didn't do anything wrong but then the story kind of sidetracks in that they hire a lawyer played by Takashi shimura mm-hmm. and then it becomes this whole thing about how he's being blackmailed by the press to lose the case uh and he needs the money because his daughter is dying of tuberculosis it becomes this kind of Dark. Sounds like a mess. It does. It becomes this heavy character study. It kind of forgets about the. It's it's Kurosawa lost interest in that initial story, and he. What's interesting about the Shimura story here is it's kind of very much an early draft of Akira. Yeah. Though it's yeah. his daughter that's dying instead of him, but it's that similar kind of character journey in terms of like what do I do with my life? Am I making the right choices? And all that stuff. It's interesting. It's just it, this wasn't the right film to go down that track in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. The the initial idea was so strong yeah. that it's kind of sad it didn't follow right. that path
1: but i think this is also the start of kurosawa doing his own projects because that was it was a studio assignment right he was assigned to do that movie by the studio and he's like no i'd rather do this movie and from this point on he's pretty much doing all of his own movies now mm-hmm. oh. and then his next film is rashima holy shit <sighs> in 1950 yeah this really this was this was what made him
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, Rashomon is the movie that brought Japan to the international market in terms of filmmaking.
1: The film was a modest success in Japan, didn't do that huge. Most of the critics were actually confused by it. And he was already off making another film when it was just kind of randomly submitted to the Venice Film Festival at the urging of some Italian producers who were in Japan at the time and saw it. it. And it won the grand prize and suddenly got all this international distribution. And this is the film that made Kurosawa instantly a world name. Mm-hmm. And guaranteed that all of his upcoming films after this got U.S. releases.
2: It's the movie that, um, if I remember right, it's the movie that started the Foreign Film Award mm-hmm. at the Oscars. Nice. Like, they created that
1: award to give to Rashomon. It was also the second film released in America just fully subtitled. Yeah. Without a mm-hmm. dub. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because the the Oscars can't just give an award to a foreign film. Please, Americans get to win Best Picture. <laughs> are you kidding me? So let's make up a different category yeah. for the other people in the rest of the world who are okay. So, They're okay.
1: So yeah. but I should say that this and a few of the other films were all done by Daiei instead of Toho. But it was the, su- the sudden international success of this that led to- Toho to give in, like, basically, here's a huge amount of money. Do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So okay. Yeah. And we're going to see
2: that. So, so dear listeners... Um, we just recently did a real education episode mm-hmm. about Rashomon, so we can send you over there for like
1: a lot about Rashomon. <laughs> and we should mention that this was also remade as a Western. Yeah. With with William Shatner. Mm-hmm. What's the title of that? The outrage. Yeah. So, well, and Shatner yeah. is just a small part, but still, it's it's actually it's um, uh, Paul Newman in Brown Faces a Mexican Bandito. Oh, of course. The next film is the other kind of dip. This one is the idiot. The idiot. The main problem with the idiot. It's based on a Fyodor Dostoevsky novel. Dostoevsky is Kurosawa's favorite writer, and this is mm-hmm. basically him. Like, oh, I finally get to do this. It was when I. He, you know, this I've is got the whole one. Totals here.
2: This is the one Kurosawa I actively dislike. It, it was. I really don't like he, the he idiot. He shot
1: it as a two hundred and sixty-five minute thing that would be released in two parts. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh
1: so that's like. Uh, over four hours <gasps> for a two-part Dusty, movie. Fucking
0: Dostoevsky, man.
1: Yeah, no. Well, this was actually not that common. There was actually like a, a series of films by one of the directors you worked with later who did like a, a five-part movie, and there were like three-part. Ozu did would do like yeah. two three-part movies. Oh yeah, it was a common thing in that Japan, all the time. But that was like, that wasn't that. It was basically
2: yeah. it, oh the the human condition. Yeah, it was basically uh, like was, a
1: TV miniseries in theaters. Yeah, but nobody wants that much yeah. Dostoevsky. So, but it was a, it, <laughs> it, well,
2: no, that's true. Nobody wants that much. I, Dostoevsky. I, I
1: actually really love that novel. I read it too. Um, but that the movies, but not yes, good.
0: yeah. But you know what? No. <laughs> nobody wants that much Dostoevsky in their true. movie. You want true. a movie to help you condense it.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing, though, is he filmed it as a 265 minute thing. The studio was like, "Fuck no!" And this was because it was still with Daya. This was right before his yeah. Toho contract. And I basically squished it all down into a 166 minute. They cut out 80 minutes of it, and you watch the film, it is shot. Individual scenes will suddenly have wipe cuts and fades and dissolves and title cards. It's like they just chop.
2: They yeah. went through it with Holy a wee Holy shit. It, it's
1: like unintelligible. It is. <laughs> it is. The only reason I really could figure out what was going on was I read the book. Mm-hmm. So have they ever released the full. That's his entire rest of his life. He tried to find the footage for it. He, he never has, and people are still looking. and They never have. Okay, so it's one of those holy grail mm-hmm. sorts yeah. of things. Yeah, okay. and, the and thing it is, might not exist
0: anymore. It probably
1: doesn't. And the thing about the film is that even just looking at the parts that were filmed, it's too loving. It's just he's so close oh, to the yeah. material that he just there's no he's stepping just, back from he's it. He's drooling all over it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it has some nice stuff in it, like Mifune's character is a lion. Like, they literally... They dress the character in a big fur coat and tell him, act like a lion. <laughs> so he is, like, prowling and stalking around with this giant fur coat, roaring and raging at everyone. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, that, that's kind of fun. But the thing that's is... fun. You, but... you watch the chopped-up version, and you go, I don't even know how the expanded thing looks. Yeah. It, it is It's so chopped-up. It
1: looks... I mean, it's a well-put-together movie in turn line. That kind of technical stuff. The Zets' costumes are really great. Uh, yeah. But... And it is a faithful adaptation of story. Yeah, but if you've but, chopped
0: it to that extent, no, you yes, can't even see the structure. Un- anymore, but yes, right? you don't
1: even get the story. What story is there is unintelligible. It's it's a mess. Curosawa was really disappointed in how it turned out. Uh mm. it's it's not good. When my cat is feeling particularly loving,
0: it will rub up against you and get so excited that it just sort of drools on itself. And that's kind of how I picture. Yeah, Kurosawa like drooling all over Dostoevsky. Like, there, there's, uh, well, well, here's the there's thing: there's
1: another point when he does Dostoevsky, where he does it better.
0: Yeah,
2: there he he learned. Yes, we will get. He there. learned. Yeah. We'll
1: we'll get there. Which I also read too. That was fun when I went through all these. I also read all the source materials. <laughs>
0: God, you're a better man than I. I the
1: idiot sh- took me about seven months to read. <laughs> the then though, re- though fashion. he quickly recovered from that mm-hmm. with Ikiru. Ikiru. Ikiru.
2: Mm-hmm. It's such a sweet movie.
1: It is. And this is the one where it's, of course, Takashi Shimura is a man who finds out that he's got like, what, a month to live? Yeah. He's dying of cancer. And he's just like, what do I do with my life? I've never done anything. I've never lived.
2: Yeah, he's like a low-level bureaucrat. Yeah. And that's what he's done all of his life. And he just goes in and looks
1: at his office and it's like, what have I done? Exactly. And I love how it's like, the film is like broken into chapters where it's like him learning... And then him going and trying a lot of stuff that ends up not giving him any fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And then finally finding something that gives him fulfillment. And then the whole epilogue afterwards where nobody learned a lesson from it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Because this is when uh, Hideo Oguni started writing with Kurosawa. And Hideo... Kurosawa had built for like starting with Akiru and onward. Actually starting with Rashomon and onward. He had these three main co-writers... That they would all write all of these films together. And what they would do is they literally go off to a hot spring, rent out the entire hot spring, and not leave until they've written a complete screenplay. So they would be out there for months sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And Oguni is a very, he's kind of like the cynical satirist. Where, where there's suddenly this kind of edge and this bite to a lot of them. Because Kurosawa was very sentimental and Agune was very cynical. So the two of them would counter off each other really well.
0: Well, and the fact that Kurosawa was like, you, come right with me. No yeah. means that Kurosawa was self-aware enough right. to say, you know what? I think you will add something that will make right. things even better.
1: Right. And then Ryoza Kikushima is the guy who, who wrote Rashomon and Shinobu Hashimoto. Again, I'm not going off notes on these. Uh, <laughs> Shinobu Hashimoto wrote a film that you guys have covered, Harakiri.
0: Ha uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh-huh. I liked it so much.
1: Yes. It's so good. Mm, it's
0: so yeah. So, so
2: intense. Yes. Very intense.
0: Oh, it's slow burn. That's a slow burn. But then But burn. then there's a flame at the end. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. Speaking
1: of that. at the end, I just love the shot of Takashi Shimura on the on the swing in the snow.
2: Oh, it's so beautiful. That That's one of the iconic
1: images of, of cinema. Kurosawa. Yeah, of Kurosawa. Of, of all no, cinema. cinema. in general, yeah. It is Shimura on the swing. Yeah, I mean, from like Rashomon to oh this. Oh my God,
0: you just had <laughs> Jalad and Tanagar when the walls fell. It just happened right there.
1: Yeah. Shimura on the swing, dude. If it dude, weren't dude. if it weren't for the fact that Ikiru is in there, we would have this perfect one two three punch. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the next one, but Ikiru I actually kind of don't like the ending mm. because I think the whole epilogue thing is just drawn out way too long. I get the point. I love the point of it. Yeah, but it goes on for so long. It's like the 40 minutes where it's just everyone at his funeral.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm. It it it's a pacing thing. Yeah, but I still it's a really good. Well, I feel thing. like it's, like so it's a cultural pacing. Ah,
0: uh, Well, no. Necessarily,
2: yeah. No. Kurosawa actually had a very modern <laughs> sense of pacing. Yeah, I mean that—that's where some yeah,
0: modern sense very... got
1: its pacing from. John... Did you
0: see Hidden Fortress? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And well, no, but the thing is, is, is <laughs> no, the filmmakers who inspired him most: John Ford, David Lean. David yeah. Lean was also a very languid pace. Yeah,
0: yeah, but he was still Japanese. That's just all I'm saying. But and the... it's bound to come out every once in a while. <coughs>
1: Hidden Fortress. (coughs) I actually love that movie and think it's very quick. I dislike that movie a lot. We'll get to it when we get to it. (laughs) So his next film after Ikiru. So we have Rashomon, Mm -hmm. we have Ikiru, Seven Samurai.
0: (laughs) Holy Jesus, holy Jesus, it's awesome. Holy Jesus, I can't handle how awesome it is. I don't know. It's
1: an okay movie. Shut your whore
0: (laughs) mouth. You and your whore mouth can shut it. Goddamn that Uh, movie. I love the
1: fuck out of that movie. I would, but Mifune said to leave it open and he yells louder.
0: It's (laughs) true, right? Seven, seven, seven. The Magnificent Seven. (laughs) <laughs> Have you, so, listeners, um, obviously we all know that, uh, or maybe you don't, hello. If you we haven't can't seen assume, Seven Samurai. Yeah, it, if it, you it haven't, Seven Samurai is one of the best films ever made, period. One of the most iconic stuff. films ever made. It's true. One of the most Just groundbreaking Just seriously films, yeah. go watch it. And it was so fantastic that they decided to remake it in America as a flat-out Western. It's
1: been remade how many times? Yeah. Many times.
0: Many times. If, but, also, if you've seen A Bug's Life, hmm. Yeah. If you've seen you Battle Four Beyond the Stars. Yeah. But the point is that it spawned a Western which became its own iconic classic. Well, I
1: just, so did you, Jimbo. So. <laughs>
0: but, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, called The Magnificent Seven, starring OMG. It's got Yul Brynner, It's got. Uh, um,
1: Charles Bronson.
0: Charles Bronson. Oh, who's the um, incredibly tall guy with the bad knuckles? I'm playing. Oh, Coburn? Coburn? Coburn. James Coburn.
1: Coburn, Steve McQueen.
0: How did you get that description for James Coburn? It was because from the extremely
1: tall guy. That's why I used to play.
0: Coburn. He's got really bad <laughs> rheumatoid arthritis. Oh, no, I know. There's yeah, so but you understood what I was saying, too. You oh, just it. No, I,
2: I, I just I couldn't get it out because I was so baffled by and your description. I, and I, love just,
1: I just love, like, Ewell Brenner and Steve McQueen fighting over oh, who gets the camera. Oh,
0: God. Steve, oh, yeah, yeah. Steve McQueen. Anyway. So, so anyway. There's... But um, one of the um, previews, one of the trailers for The Magnificent Seven has these seven iconic film actors walking into a formation of a seven while the
1: music goes, Seven, 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 seven. the The magnificent magnificent seven. seven. And then there was the Magnificent Seven returns, Guns of the Magnificent Seven, oh, Magnificent Seven Sh- TV series. No,
0: no, they <laughs> yeah, have the know. Magnificent just, Seven remake. Just is filming stop. Right now. It's like Ender's Game. Just <laughs> yeah. read the first one
1: and don't go any further. Yeah, I actually Pretty really way. like speaker. Ah, <laughs> la, anyway, la, 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 bring
2: it back. Bring it back. We got Seven Samurai well, here. let me also we just say
1: samurai. the Samurai Seven anime series surprisingly really good. Yes, redoing it as a steampunk sci-fi. Okay, super cool. Yeah. Excellent. That's cool. But anyway, Seven, because seven Samurai. Because a
0: great story is always a great story. Just
1: ask Shakespeare because yeah. he stole all his plots. And again, Seven Samurai, this is where he literally built an entire village. He had everyone live in the village. He had everyone wear those clothes. And they filmed this thing for a year. Yeah. you know? God, you yeah.
0: know what? On the one hand kurosawa on the other oh kurosawa yeah like well, i mean we all hear the stories about like when they were filming alien and ridley scott was an asshole to everybody right right mm, this kind of bordering
1: on asshole territory what's fascinating nobody wants to really live like a peasant yeah. i'm just saying what's also fascinating is the film that they made after seven samurai is also Sh- shimura and mufune mm-hmm. and they were in the films right before you look at them physically after they had gone through the experience of Samurai 7. And it's like they're suddenly all lean and gaunt. <laughs> like Mifuna, like Shimura in the next film that he made after Samurai is surprisingly ripped. I know. He's like all Stanley Tucci. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's gone the full Tucci. Oh, <laughs> imagine Shimura penduluming. <laughs> wait wait Uh stanley (laughs) tucci ripped what Uh, there was a film we watched oh it was
2: uh it could happen to you it could happen to
1: you where it's stanley tucci is an entire scene where he's just in a towel and there's like one moment where it's like
2: and and we're all sitting there a movie night going
1: and um. he's like all abs and everything like that and there's like one moment where he just pushes himself up between two counters and just starts penduluming
0: (laughs) (laughs) i'll be back (laughs) give me a moment hello nurse <laughs>
1: but that that's not even him at like full flex like i know i know
0: that yeah but, he's, but i saw him drinking wine it's like
2: well there's that me. this
0: song. needs to be in the show notes for everybody to enjoy <laughs> that is a very 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 lickable stanley tucci drinking some wine in a towel that's like every every ounce of happiness right there like just Squeezed into one spot. Hello, happiness. (laughs) Hi, Stanley. How are you? Yes, I would like to pet your pelt. Ah, (laughs) I love that he's delightfully hairy. I know, right? Hello, what? Holy shit. (laughs) Somebody's got tickets to the gun show. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. And look, he's acting the shit out of that, too. I know, he is. He's, ah. he's acting, and I'm like, I can't pay attention to your acting. Did you notice your arms? Hello. Whew, look at those hands. Those would do so many oh, naughty okay. things.
1: Okay, I get it.
0: <laughs> so many naughty would things. Would you like to share in the photos?
1: No, <laughs> I get it. Okay. I'm not jealous. <laughs> to be it fair, what was never also... calls me back. What was also it's... fun was we just, out of curiosity, also looked up shirtless Oliver Platt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did that turn up
1: not as not as delightful
0: <laughs> i do love oliver platt don't get me wrong but i do feel like well, that wouldn't quite the be unfortunate the thing. thing
1: was oliver platt was the victim of all the the hacking that yeah. happened recently so a lot of personal photos came out oh, oh. yeah oh. yeah that was unfortunate That's very unfortunate. Okay. So
0: anyway, we should Um, should get back. Hold on. There is a, when I'm typing Are you Googling shirtless Oliver Platt (laughs) right now? No, shirtless Stanley Tucci. But here's what's (laughs) enjoyable is shirtless Stanley. What Google tries to fill in is Stanley Cup. Shirtless Stanley Cup
1: cup. Not the same thing. You know, Not
0: remotely. I I bet
1: you anything that shirtless Stanley Laurel was surprising.
0: Okay, I'm waiting to see how many letters I need to type in. (laughs) That may be true. Okay, my phone does not recognize that shirtless Stanley Tucci might be something that somebody wants to look at. So let us see images and bring it, bring it. Hello. Wow. (laughs) Look at
1: that. I also want to point out that this is my last thing before I go to bed. Oh, he's when got the iPhone. Type eyebrows. in "Mufuni" into an iPhone; it autocorrects to "Muffin." <laughs> Toshiro muffins. Let's make a batch of Toshiro muffins.
0: I would eat Toshiro muffins, and they would make me stronger and more manly.
1: They all just have this kind of roaring lion face on their top.
0: Mm. <coughs> oh, oh.
1: I am Toshiro you know, Muffin. One of my favorite parts about Seven Samurai: that massive, massive sword he has. I know. But then when he gets into the final break, just snaps in half. Yes. <laughs> so, but Seven Samurai, it's just, it's such a magnificent film. It just covers this entire world. I love it. It's so good. It really is so good. And, and it's the epitome I... of a bittersweet ending. Oh, it
0: where is. Where it's like, we just
1: saved this entire village. What was the point?
2: It, it, <laughs> I love it, It's the first modern action film. And I, I say that without hyperbole. It is the first modern action film. It set the tone
0: for... Well, not just Action the tone. Afterwards. not just the tone the In, structure it's the pacing structure. the structure how you tell the story yes. everything the clichés every every beat yeah. along the way the building the band the everything yeah we got to get the band together we got to have a training montage we got to you know mm-hmm.
2: and how you set up the characters everything i remember taking a friend of mine to see seven samurai um a friend of mine who worked at the fish store when i used to manage a fish store because i used to manage a fish store and i said you should come out with a bunch of us to see Seven Samurai and he goes what is that and i go D- you, it doesn't matter you should just come you'll like it and so we get to the Oak Street cinema when it was still running and we get in there and the movie starts playing he goes oh god it's it's subtitled uh, and i go you just give it a chance and eventually the the intermission rolls around cuz it's a long fucking movie mm-hmm. um it doesn't feel like it but intermission hits and he goes this is one of the best things i've ever seen hello hello so i mean I this is a guy who went kind of oh subtitles oh black and white to true believer in <laughs> what quickly. an hour and 20
1: yeah. yeah i honestly think it might have been the first subtitle movie i ever saw because i think my dad showed it, it to me when i was like 10 or 11 yeah i mean i would seen plenty of black and white before but i don't think i'd ever seen a subtitle film before i, uh, yeah. I know. yeah and I think I was also turned off by the running time, but yeah, I got pulled into it. I'm like,
0: how do you not? It's
1: just such amazing filmmaking. It is it's so. It's great. just such a good story. And the cast it's just is great. brilliant. The story is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even love how it's a very. Kurosawa didn't really care for the samurais because he felt like the whole mystic noble nature of the samurai warrior was all bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that's why he has the traditional samurai be the ones who are just passing by the peasants and being like, how dare you ask me? Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. And that's basically all the the entire thing is made up of rejects. Yeah, It's all rejects. People who are just survivors from places that collapse. People who do not follow the Bushido code. People who are just wandering rejects who have nothing else to do. And it's like, hey, this gives us something to do. It's the
0: Blues Brothers.
1: Yeah. 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 And what's interesting is that this was, his original idea for it was going to be Seven Samurai would be an anthology film with seven different stories following Seven Samurai. Harukiri came from that. Mm-hmm. Oh. That was going to be one of the stories. Oh, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. So, but then they, but then it's like when talking with all the writers, it's like we have this one story. What if we make that the story and bring all the other samurai in there? And these were all his thing is, he would develop entire character biographies for all of his characters. Of course, he would. This this man was a little um, OCD. Yes. (laughs) So so it was like, okay, what if we just take all these characters, throw them together in a single story? What would happen? And I love the use of guns. How Mm -hmm. all the samurai that die, die because they're shot, not because they're stabbed or slashed. Yeah. You know, the way that they ultimately win in the end is by stealing guns. Yeah. You know, it's It's by
0: giving in to the new reality. Exactly, and it's just it's a wonderful movie, yeah.
2: which, which is a theme that is seen much later in Ron, of course. Well,
1: and and your Jimbo and your Jimbo. The next film, and this is fascinating. This was the first film that he made following the end of the U.S. occupation, which actually ended during the entire year and a half he made Seven Samurai. Uh, okay. I I live in fear, also known as Record of Living Being.
2: Yeah, that's the other Dostoevsky. No, no,
1: no. Wait, that, that's rebeard. We'll get to Red Bear. Well, there's Lower Depths, too. You're probably thinking that was Maxim I'm Gorky. thinking of Lower Depths. That was Maxim Gorky, but we'll get to that. Oh, you're oh, right. That was a Russian Gorky. playwright, which I also read. Oh, so uh, oh. we'll get to that. But Record, yeah. of, record oh. of Living Being, also called I Live in Fear, is basically it's the mirror world version of Akiru. Yeah. Uh, it's this rich bureaucrat guy who's had this wealthy family, has created this wealthy business, is so terrified by the possibility of the Cold War, of global nuclear thermal war mm-hmm. that he wants to just uproot everything and move his entire family to brazil which was a real thing that's why there's this very large japanese population in brazil because they were nuked you know japan yeah. had been nuked and now with the fear of a nuclear war between russia and america they figured well where will the nukes not land probably brazil so there's a huge japanese population in brazil
0: oh my god it's true. Of, it's yeah, absolutely classic. true.
1: It, it sounds like a science fiction story, but it's not.
0: No, it's no. super smart. It's like, so, okay, they're up there and they're up yes. there and they're going to be h- killing each other. Exactly. Where could we go? And so well, Antarctica is no. a little extreme. So, Brazil. And so this Brazil. old man is.
1: <laughs> you know what? I mean, the Nazis went to Brazil and they're doing fine. And so this old man is having these nightmares of like mushroom clouds and stuff. And again, this is the first film he made after America left. As a film exploring nuclear yeah. fears, but it's also then this guy's family then goes to the courts to have him declared incompetent, so that he no longer has control over all stuff, I and mean, he just wants to save his family, but they gradually drive him into senility by taking away all of his his um, his choices and all of his own ability to make his own actions.
2: It's super depressing,
1: and it's and it's the old man is played by Toshirô Mifune.
0: Mm-hmm. In
1: makeup. old age makeup. And because again, this was right after Seven Samurai where he's just gaunt and skinny and all that stuff. And so they just do very light makeup to show his bones sticking through, create his hair out. And it's Takashi Shimura is now in a supporting role. And this is the point where Sh- Shimura starts falling into the background after Seven Samurai. He doesn't really get mm-hmm. many big roles after that. Uh, but Mifune, yeah, this is this is a fascinating performance for him. As I said, it's like a dark mirror to Ikiru where it's this this. Down on his luck, person who's never done anything, finds out he's dying and finds himself and finds a way to take action. And you get this rich guy who has his full life, who just by his own fears loses everything. Yeah. And the two of them, I think, complement each other really well. It's, yeah. it's a very dark film. It ends on a very sad note. It's just a very sad movie about this guy's entire life falling apart.
0: I can't handle sad right now, but I yeah. appreciate that
1: it's beautifully done. But mm-hmm. what's fascinating about it is because... This is the point when there were all the nuclear horror science fiction movies. Godzilla had just come out, which was made by a friend of his, Ishiro Honda.
2: Godzilla and Seven Samurai were made at the same time, at the
1: same studio. And they nearly bankrupted Toho. Fun fact, Kurosawa loved Godzilla and wanted to do one of the sequels. They wouldn't let him because they thought he would make it too expensive.
0: I know, right? Oh, yeah. We could have had a Kurosawa Godzilla. Yeah.
1: Imagine, imagine like Mifune as Godzilla. I know. Not even in costume. No. Just paint him green. Just
0: <laughs> roar.
1: And, ah! Ah! and, but anyways, but what's, what's fascinating about I Live in Fear is that he basically films it like a science fiction movie. It even has a theremin score. Mm-hmm. It's done in the style of 50s sci-fi movies. But it's a real life story about what was something that was really going on in real psychological fears, while also showing this character study of this guy collapsing. It's a fast. It's actually one of my favorites of the curse always because it's just no one talks about it. It's just this fascinating little obscuro. Mm-hmm. So, would you like to talk thinking, about? Oh. Would you like to talk about Shakespeare now?
2: Yes, let's talk about Shakespeare. Let's Talk Shakespeare
1: because the next one is Mifune as Macbeth in Throne of Blood.
0: Throne of Blood. Oh. Okay, Macbeth is my favorite. Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Have
1: you seen Throne of Blood?
0: I have not. Oh, I know, Throne of Blood I know. is delicious. Honestly, I think I've only seen two Kurosawa, and? and I am aware of it. I don't need any angry emails no, no. or any or any oh. judgment. It's it, it just means I need to fix.
2: I have an excuse to watch Kurosawa again.
1: Just I, her reac- I, I can't wait to see your reaction to the climax. I know,
0: right? Macbeth is <sighs> such a great, such a great Shakespeare play,
1: and then the final, um, final one.
0: I saw a production of Macbeth at the Globe Theater in London Mm -hmm. that was, there was, it was sort of kooky, but there were some beautiful things about it. I think I talked about it before. Yeah, you did. Yeah, like with the, they had this platform that Mm -hmm. would rock and as Lady Macbeth was doing the stair scene, she would just walk up. And it would t- retilt to the other side, and she'd walk up, mm-hmm. and it would retilt, and she'd walk up. I'm like, OMG, that's amazing. <laughs> it was super great. And, of course, in uh, New York City right now, you could go see Sleep No More, Ooh. Mm-hmm, which is uh, at the, quote, quote, McKittrick Hotel, Okay. and it is... Five six stories. You've and they tell you wear good walking shoes. And you get an arrival time, but you leave whenever you decide you're done or at the end of the night.
1: Nice. You know that line in the climax where it's like the trees have come alive and they're all walking? Cursoa shows that. It's called Not the, with Miniatures. The Burnham Wood. <laughs> The Burnham Wood. Oh my yeah. god. You no, know, it's what's fascinating about oh, Throne no. of Blood, it is it it is an extremely accurate adaptation. It's an extremely accurate. faithful adaptation. It is even so though good. It, it, it even though it doesn't have the dialogue, it like has all the same meaning of the dialogue. The story beats are all the same. It even has, you know, the witches the ghost of his friend, you know, Lady Macbeth is wonderful in it. It it's a it is it is held up as one of the best adaptations of Macbeth. It is oh, phenomenal. And it is. It wait. is. Sure, it,
2: it is. It is. Kurosawa. Shakespeare. Mufune. Can we get and two more of Kurosawa Shakespeare? Oh. Yeah, that is a Venn diagram of awesome. Oh my so god! Right at
0: that I, th- I, I wonderful little triangular
1: middle. I got a little, little, right got a
0: little physically excited there.
1: So Lucky his film. next film is, is one that I love. This is the Maxim Gorky one, The Lower Depths. Ah, <sighs> and it this is, is
2: the one with all the pe- the derelict people yeah, in it's, the one. It's, it's basically house. all
1: shot in a single. It's again, it's a very faithful adaptation of the original play. Yeah, it just changed the setting, where it's a ghetto little shack on the edge of a junkyard that's just crammed full of a bunch of people who just have nowhere else to go. You know, like there's the prostitute with their kids. There's the samurai who doesn't have a job. Here's the tinkerer and his dying wife. You know, the actor who's an alcoholic so he can't get any work. Uh, and it's just all these people. And it's like this old man kind of comes in and he's kind of like, you know, the mystical old man who's going to inspire everybody. And like by the end of the movie, he's like, fuck it, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a movie about how they no matter how much you hope, life's going to keep crushing you down. And the ending of that movie, where it's this marvelous, like, five-minute scat musical number. Yep. It's, it's this marvelous five-minute scat musical number. Yep. Like, almost all done in one shot, as they're, like, playing drums on a sumo guy's belly and doing this big <laughs> musical number. It literally, it's like... <laughs> and but it, and, and then it it's like, they're in this big musical number, and then someone runs in from outside. The actor just hung himself. Mm-hmm. And everyone is just like... Uh. That fucking bastard cut to black. (laughs) And it's just, it's the most cynical, dark, just everything is (laughs) fucked up and wrong movie.
2: Welcome to the literature of the Russians. Yeah,
0: Dear (laughs) listeners, the face you're making, I am making for you right now. But it's
1: like this, but again, it's like this hopeful, great, everyone's having a fun time, musical number, someone runs in, oh, that guy just killed himself. And then everyone just being pissed at him for ruining the mood. God oh. damn it! <laughs> Although I have had weeks yeah. like that. Yeah, and it's, it's just one of those it's one of those movies where it's just everything going I actually love it. It's a it's a mega it's, it's a very it's not a film to watch when you're not in the mood for it. But no. it's it's just so well made and so captivating. And remade as a French film by Jean Renoir. Well, it was a separate adaptation of the play. But yeah, they actually yeah. put them both on the Criterion Disney yeah. as a double feature. All
2: right, dear listeners, we will need to cut it off there because we re- ultimately recorded, like, more than three hours. Curse went too long and over budget. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so did we. And our over budget is wine. So, um... Oh, <laughs> yes. So we should close this one up, and we will be back next week to finish this episode. So, Wendy, do you have a pick for this week? Do you have something that you would like to suggest for our mutual pleasure dome?
0: Okay, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, and that would be Sleep No More, which is in New York City currently. These people create immersive theatrical experiences, and what Sleep No More is, it's a hotel, and you buy your ticket for a specific time to enter, and then you go in and every place that you're allowed to go to and um, as you stay longer, different parts become available and then they close off. It's very fascinating how you do it. And you wear a mask um, and you're not supposed to speak to anyone. And so you know that anybody in a mask is another viewer. Mm -hmm. And that immediately lets you know who the actors are.
1: Can you charade to other people?
0: Um, Some people do talk and they're super dickish. So you, and you're, you just wander wherever your fancy takes you and you can look at things. You can, you can go up and pick things up and it's, the story is Macbeth, but as you wander through, you can catch different parts of it. Like I definitely saw the scene where Macbeth is writing to his wife. I saw his homecoming. I saw the witches doing some crazy shit (laughs) and I kept looping around. I'm like, oh, this isn't interesting. And then suddenly an actor would go by and you would just be like, oh, where are they going? And you'd follow along, along with everybody else. And then, holy shit, what just happened? And you'd be walking along a hallway, just sort of investigating. And oh my God, there's blood on the floor. Something went down here. What? I saw Burnham Wood twice. I cannot recommend this highly enough. It is, it is Theater, but it is the kind of theater that changes your idea of what theater is. It's awesome. It's just so amazing. I love immersive theater. Wow. I love that stuff. It, it's promenade theater, but told in a completely fascinating way.
1: Yeah. Oh. It's like a PC game, adventure game in real life.
0: Yes. 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 Oh.
1: I want someone to stage Myst.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. Let, 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 let's get
1: someone to do Shadowgate.
2: Live. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I agree with you let's do let's do that Fringe show Fringe Fringe Minnesota Fringe let's do this uh, <laughs> oh, oh.
1: So, Noel, do you have a pick for us? Uh, well, let me go. I don't really have anything outside of Kurosawa. I actually okay. tried to think of one. Let me... Pick let, a Kurosawa. Let me recommend two of his more obscure ones. Okay. Because these are ones that just not enough people see, not enough people talk about. I'm going to go with Snow Trails. Mm-hmm. Snow Trail. It's not plural. That one that he did, the early one with Bifuni and Shimura, Really good, especially that last hour. Just really good movie. And then I Live in Fear. Yeah, especially if you watch Ikiru, watch I Live in Fear as its weird, twisted mirror universe sibling. (laughs) Mm,
0: Bravo, bravo! It
1: it is Ikiru with an evil mustache.
0: Oh, oh. Melissa! All right, dear listeners, um, Marissa.
2: This
1: (laughs) did you just say, Marissa? That that's taking us down the wrong.
2: That that is English, and I do not approve. Okay, so. Oh. Yeah, but it was
0: funny. Yes, it was.
1: Mifune is just standing there glowering.
0: Yes, very much. Oh, Mifune. Marissa. Okay, dear (laughs) listeners, this is going
2: up like probably six weeks after the fact. But um, as we are recording this, a movie called Pixels just came out. A a truly atrocious Adam Sandler movie called Pixels just came out. Um, Don't go see it. But the movie Pixels is based on a 2010 short film named Pixels uh, made by a French filmmaker it, uh, the short film is 2 minutes and 45 seconds long it is delightful you can see it on YouTube you can pour it into your eyeballs right now for free and I recommend seeing that
1: you know the biggest realization I had about Pixels is that that is the Ghostbusters remake we could have gotten <sighs> so <sighs> however the Ghostbusters remake turns out it can point at Pixels and say we're not that well, at least it ain't that. <laughs> Which is shame, because I love the concept. I even like the fact that it's a Chris Columbus movie, but the moment you taint it with Adam Sandler. Taint is
0: a good word for Because I remember, I
1: remember watching the trailers, I'm like, ooh, this looks exciting. Oh, fuck. This guy yeah. fucking
0: Peter Dinklage, what the hell? Yeah, it, it hmm. uh, We could have an
2: entire episode about uh, Adam Sandler, but we're not.
0: not. Nah. We're not. We're just not. So... take us on home Melissa
2: thank you for joining us on Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome I have been Melissa and this has been Wendy and we have been joined by the ever fabulous Noel and we will be back next week to conclude this episode about the ever amazing Akira Kurosawa
0: Akira Kurosawa goodbye I don't like Russian literature. Uh, I just flat out admit it. I can't. Oh, well, we'll get to some other ones. Russians, man... They yes. live in a very cold place, and they drink a lot of alcohol for what, a reason. We'll get there. You in know what, I homes.
2: actually, <laughs> at one point in my life, read *Sons and Daughters* in Russian.
1: Ooh.
0: How?
2: Slowly.